Hacer tequila Don Julio es como escribir una carta de amor a México. Beber tequila Don Julio es como declarar ese amor al mundo entero. Don Julio es el tequila de lujo original, hecho con la misma pasión que recorre las raíces de nuestro país. Porque si no es por amor, ¿para qué? Consume responsablemente. Don Julio Tequila, 40% por volumen 2020, importado por Diageo, America's New York, New York. The Home Depot tiene el regalo ideal para el papá que hace de todo por su familia. Como tener el césped cuidado y el patio limpio para disfrutar más del verano juntos. Además, te llega hasta tu puerta con entrega el mismo día. Obtén hasta 150 dólares de descuento en herramientas inalámbricas para exteriores de Milwaukee. El mejor regalo para papá lo encuentras en The Home Depot. Haces más, logras más. Orden artículos seleccionados en inventario antes de las 4 p.m. sujeto a disponibilidad. Ya regresó la venta para amigos y familiares de JCPenney, con 30% de descuento extra por toda la tienda. Esos son ahorros por encima de nuestros precios ya bajos. Ven con tus amigos y familiares y ahorren en grande. Y recuerda, el Día de los Padres es el 16 de junio. Y en JCPenney puedes encontrar el regalo perfecto, desde ropa, calzado, artículos de cuidado personal y más. JCPenney, vale la pena. Cupón válido del 3 al 9 de junio en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Detalles en la tienda JCP.com. Tres ganadores. Cada uno de ellos se ha ganado 200 millones de pesos. A la familia Pérez, Uriarte y Ortiz se les cumple el sueño. Prométeme que el dinero nunca te va a cambiar. Te juro que siempre voy a ser ese hombre del que tú te enamoraste. Pero con la suerte también llegan los problemas. Lástima que van a perderlo todo. Golpe de suerte de lunes a viernes a las 8 por Univisión. Many times as Latinas, we have felt the challenges of growing up as an outsider while having to navigate as an insider. We want to help our children sail through this journey of biculturalism successfully on their own. Today, we're chatting with Maria Twina, mother, marketer, and author of a bilingual children's book series who, through storytelling, is helping children and parents feel empowered about having a foot in both worlds. We read the books. We bought the things. We thought we were ready. And then life took our plans and changed them. I'm Karen, I'm Victoria's mommy, and I work in tech. And I'm Pamela. I have a baby boy named Ford, and I'm a journalist. And although we're both first time working moms, we're actually pretty different. And that's totally okay. Because we both agree that our most important work is raising our kids. We really need each other and can only get through this together. Welcome to Motherish Moments. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We good love afternoon. This topic. I think being bilingual and bicultural is something that kind of comes natural to us and we really don't think about it too much. But sometimes we do have to stop and be intentional about how we're helping our children also navigate through, you know, both of these worlds mm. um, with security and with joy, you know, with grace. Yeah, and, and I think also to add, like, understanding the power that it, it can give them. That was something that I was brought up kind of being told, but not understanding fully until, you know, joining the workforce and then being like, oh, wait, I have this superpower. <laughs> but yeah, so you want to jump into your motherish moment, Pamela? Okay, so my motherish moment is... Four has been back with his swimming classes. You know, one of my biggest fears, I think, since he was small because of where we live. And I think I've spoken about this 
plenty of time is the fear of water and pools and lakes and oceans and everything that has to do with water. So every summer we kind of restart again. He tends to forget, I think, throughout the year, everything he learned before. So this year he's back again. He's a little bit older, you know, he's three now. And it's just been, it's been fun watching him. And it's crazy how they pick up on it so fast, you know, and to see them like swim across the pool and doing all this stuff has been really nice. I still get anxiety sometimes, <laughs> you know, when the instructor lets him pull through, but it, it's been important for me and it gives me a little bit more peace of mind for him. And it, you know, again, I think it minimizes a little bit my fear and anxiety when it comes to that. And it's also been fun watching him. So it's kind of a simple motherish moment of the week. He swam the whole pool this week. Amazing. So on my end, my mother's moment with Victoria, basically, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie it to the topic of the episode. So we're nearing the end of the school year. It's her first year being in school. Um, Maria, for context, my daughter is four. She just turned four. So she, you know, prior to joining school was pretty much Spanish dominant and only spoke Spanish. And obviously with school comes in the new world of English, which is amazing. And I, you know, exactly how I, how I hoped it would be, except now she's kind of like mixing the two of them quite a bit. And so I'm trying to like hold on with all of my might to the Spanish at home, you know, kind of thing that I always tried to determine that I would do. I'm catching myself because it's also easy to speak to her in English. And I know she understands that I'll say stuff in English. And then immediately I like repeat the entire sentence in Spanish. And she's looking at me like, God, why are you repeating everything so much? <laughs> so funny, the other day I caught my mom speaking English to Ford. No! And I was livid. I was like, what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She it's was like, oh, to me be too. careful. The cars are coming. Because he says that, right? Yeah. Like that's his new thing. Like, be careful. Cars yeah. are coming. And it's really cute. But I'm like, mom, you cannot. Repeat. First of all, that's not you. Like, I want you to be authentically who you feel comfortable with and being. <laughs> like, don't adjust to him. Like, yeah. So I had like this whole speech with her, but it was so funny. Like, I caught him. Like, desde cuando hablas tú? O sea, I know, I know, I know. Gringa ahora. I know, I know. Sí, claro. Both Victoria's grandmothers <laughs> do that, and I literally am like, no, no. With Victoria, poor thing, she has like a it's like a three part situation where I'll be like, oh, Victoria, can you please help me get this from the refrigerator? I catch myself and I'm like, mami, puedes buscar esto del refrigerador? And then in the background, you hear Juan, Victoria, busca eso de la nevera. And I'm like, ah! <laughs> she's like, gonna be, there's so many versions and she's just looking at us. Guys, I understand everything. Calm down. But anyway, those are our motherish moments, just little highs and lows. Maria, would you like to share your motherish moment with us, which I'm sure is very different than ours? <laughs> Yes, yes, because uh, I'm a mother to a 31-year-old daughter, so it's a little different. But, you know, um, I was thinking about that this morning, and uh, she's a singer-songwriter, and she had a lot of great news this week. So what, what surprised me when she was sharing the news is how excited you still get, even when your kids are so much older, about all their little successes. Um, you know, you started, Pamela, with, you know, navegando, nadando, which is navigating, which I thought was the perfect intro, right? But it's it's about that. They're still navigating life. We all are, right? Yeah. But we uh, still get super excited when there is a win, no matter how big it is. So that was my motherish moment. Oh, I love that. So let's welcome Maria. She has this super adorable, which I had to confess, I just came across them, is a series of children's book about this character. And I want you to tell me about Mari, Marie V. Is that how you pronounce the character's name? Sí, Marie V. Sí. 
Marivy, and it's you know I, she spoke so much to to me, and I think she's gonna speak to a lot of us because again, I think we grew up kind of like a second nature, just navigating and kind of translating and speaking both languages and being comfortable in both worlds, but also feeling not enough for both of them either. So why don't you tell us about where yeah. this idea came from and what you're hoping to accomplish with this book series? Yeah, great question and so true. The idea, you know, it's interesting. I, I'll give you a little background because that really informs the whole initiative for Marie V. I was born in Miami. Mm -hmm. um, my dad was originally from Spain. My mother, Cuban. They were both Cuban immigrants at the time. Born in Miami, but raised in New Orleans. So... Um, I raised in a non-Hispanic white neighborhood, and I think that's really important to share because a lot of us that weren't raised in metro areas where we had a lot of Latinos around us had a you know a different upbringing when it comes to the culture class, right? So we were raised in New Orleans, a non-Hispanic white neighborhood, but our home was very much Latino. And we talk about the language, but it was more for me about the culture. So the culture was all about collectivism. Our ethos is all about family and community is much more important than yourself. Then we would go off to our American schools. Yes, we were taught in English, but we were taught more importantly to be self-reliant and independent. So we had this culture clash of independence outside of the home, interdependence inside the home. Our ethos those were totally different, right? And it took me 40 years to realize this, but I, one day I was walking at 40 and I realized that when I was a child and I would come home from school and act independently, my mother would say, mira que eres egoísta. And at the time I didn't understand it, but she was seeing my behavior through the lens of collectivism. Right. So that culture clash really informed my childhood. There were battles over everything. The sleepover. Oh, you yes. have a home. Right? I, still, I still feel uh, that way. I still feel that way. Oh, controversial oh, that conversation like, with my mom friends. But I was like, I don't care. My child will never sleep over your house. Oh, yeah. It was like a nuclear bomb had hit the household. <laughs> right. Walking barefoot, uh, wearing cutoff jeans, wearing jeans full stop, just wearing jeans, okay? It was like, no, 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 you know, there were so many little things that I ended up studying psychology, I think, to understand my childhood. And then I went to graduate school and got a degree in film and television. And I embarked on a general market agency career and spent 20 years doing general market agency work. I was at McCann and about 14 years ago, I came home from the supermarket And my late husband was helping me put up groceries and he said, you know, you'd never buy the same brand of anything twice. I said, really? He said, yeah. He goes, I share that with you because I just read a study that said Hispanics are brand loyal. And I looked at him and I said, whenever you read a study like that, they are never talking about me. They're talking about my parents. We don't exist. And that conversation, when I look back now, changed my whole career, my whole career. I was working on a global CRM project with McCann, and I started doing deep dives into why am I not brand loyal? I'm in marketing. You know, they don't ever speak to me. Uh, so what drives me at the point of sale? Is it the price? Is it the packaging? Is it the promotion? I started doing research with my families that were either second generation like me born here or the 1.5 generation, the ones that came at the age of less than 10. Mm -hmm. And I started yeah. doing a whole bunch of research and I put together this presentation, flew to New York and I told uh, the folks at McCann, I 
don't want to do what you want me to do. This is what I want to do. The future is bilingual, bicultural, and digital. And here are the numbers. Here's the research. And I'd really like to start a discipline that focuses on this. And much to my surprise, they allowed me to, which I am forever grateful for. Because when I started that journey, when I was going back professionally, it parallel path my return emotionally to my childhood, which is where money be all starts. You know, the, the term retroculturation has been out there for a long time. It's like we leave yes, our roots yes. only to come back to them. And we come back to them typically triggered by a key mm-hmm. life event, the birth of a child, the death of a parent, a marriage, a divorce, something triggers you to return. Right. And in my case, you know, I, when I had my daughter, of course, I gave her all the Latin culture and everything and the Spanish language, everything I could But there was something about returning career-wise that was different because it wasn't just about me. It was about all of us that weren't seen or heard. I think it was a greater calling for me or that's how I interpreted it, right? So I started going back to my youth and I started thinking, you know, I lived between Marsha Brady from the Brady Bunch and Veronica from the telenovela. And (laughs) it was like, I was in the middle, overshadowed by both and not seen by anyone. I do remember my childhood feeling a sense of, like, I don't belong, like, incomoda, right? Yeah, everyone says that, but to live it is different, right? I was at home, and I felt more American, and I was the first that had been born here. I remember telling my parents, no, porque you don't understand. Yo soy americana, yo nací aquí, I felt that nativity mattered, right? And that, that was it. I was born here, so I'm American, not knowing at all what that meant, really. I started thinking, had I had a character or someone in TV when I was growing up that reflected my life experiences and showed me the way, I would have been much more comfortable in my own skin. And as I started retro-acculturating career-wise, I started working with a nonprofit group with kids. And the kids were like me, second generation, but they were younger going up in school. And they were sharing with me the same things I had had as a kid. So I thought, how has this not changed after all these years? And so I started, you know, just playing with the character. It's like, I really want to create stories. I want to call her something that will really resonate with kids. One of the things that I know is true, and it was part of the research we did to launch the whole bilingual bicultural practice at McCann, we did a study across the U.S., across acculturation levels, across generations. And the thesis was pretty simple. I wanted to, mind you, I was driven to prove to corporate America, we matter, right? So the thesis was, All children of immigrants, we all play the role of Sherpa or navigator as we're growing up. We translate the language. We interpret the U.S. ethos, which is totally different than the ethos we have at home, collectivism, right? We inform brand and product purchases at a very early age. We demystify services and technology. And it's not a role that stops when we turn 18. It's a role that stays with us our whole lives. So I called her the master navigator because I think that's an area of our lives that we rarely talk about or really, really discover or investigate in our own lives and what that has meant for our life. It's an incredible responsibility. It's an incredible burden. It takes away part of our childhood at a very early age mm-hmm. because we have mm-hmm. to act like adults in many situations. So yeah, I struggled with, she's called Marie 
because Maria, obviously, Marianism, my name, the name of many Latinas. I want kids to see themselves as, as you mentioned earlier, this is your superpower. It may feel like a deficit now and a weakness now, but the promise of Marivi is for kids to see themselves and to know that they have a future that's bright, multidimensional, and very important. Karen and I have been nodding the entire time. Karen's like crying because it's like, but instead of like seeing it as a weakness, I'm digging deep into like our childhood and to like our Maria. Me, I didn't see this. I didn't see this episode going in this direction. I'm just gonna say <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I, I signed think, up for this, but there's I a lot. I, I what I, what, how I felt, um, Maria was more of like a load, right? Like I was like, why? Like it's not fair. It was more like not a, a weakness. On the contrary, I felt like I was doing more than I should be doing. Like it's not fair that I have to be dealing with stuff with these kids don't deal with it. Like why am I talking to the the electric company? Why am I dealing with like you know negotiating stuff for my mom? I'm like only twelve. So instead of feeling like a weakness, I really felt it more like a like a burden of like more responsibilities that I didn't wild. that I didn't shouldn't have. Yeah. And even till today, I feel like we are like the head of our families. Because we grown up thinking and being that way. I actually felt very empowered by this, which is like the complete opposite feeling. And to the point where now, literally now, in this moment of my life, I am in an awakening of sorts. And I am saying, hey, I'm going to surrender this role because I'm done. I'm done. First of all, thank you. You are very, very wise in highlighting something that I think most of us just kind of like truck along and we don't actually pay attention because it's second we're so nature busy. Draws, it's like, okay, yes. it's our day to day, it's who we are, it's yeah. our, you know, yeah. but then when you stop to think about it, mm-hmm. it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I want to share something yeah. because it resonates so much with me at a personal level right now. So I recently wrote something, I've been working at a tech company for almost 10 years. Prior to the tech company, I worked in Hispanic media for seven years and I transitioned to tech. And in that transition, when I first started there, is when I realized that I was a minority. I was oblivious to this because I grew up in Miami and I worked at, you know, a Spanish television broadcast network. And so when I walked my jolly self into this job that immediately I was like, whoa, how did I get this job? I realized like, oh, there's an entire system of society that works in a completely different way. And now I'm part of it. And I don't even know how to like justify that I belong here at the moment, right? Because everyone, it was in a moment very early on at this tech company where everybody who would join the company was coming from a perfectly crafted, it seemed, right, from my perspective, a perfectly crafted life by the previous generations before them. They, as children, they already knew which university, which Ivy League university they were going to go to. After that, it was a very clear path for their career, all of those things. And then I was like, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how they let me in, but I'm here now. And I navigated this whole situation of like, I'm not quite American enough for you, but I know I'm American. And they had hired me to do work for Latin America, which I was way too gringa for them too. So it was like this weird, like I'm caught in this strange thing. And so at this point, you know, I, I am closing that chapter of my professional life because I am tired of continuously pretending I'm something that I'm not Mm. in so many ways. But leaving a position, especially as a mother, especially as someone who has been a professional for so long, it for so long, it's a, it's a while. Yes. It's a difficult thing because going back to the collective 
perspective that we have of growing up, I'm also leaving behind a financial power that has always been the motivator because I need to be everyone's backup just in case. And so it's such a deep, like yeah. multi-layered situation. And you're like addressing all of these points uh, for me right now. So yeah, that. And you know, and I want to clarify something. When I said earlier that it's a, it was a weakness, I was really referring to the fact that we were already so different from everyone in our neighborhood that on top of that, when the kids were the ones doing the work, it made us feel even more alienated. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, we were weak because, again, we're not like Los Americano. You know, mm -hmm. we just we just wanted to fit in. That's yeah. all we wanted to do was to fit in. And I think it's interesting because I have seen in my life, in my personal life, that when I engage in new things sometimes i create a bicultural environment without being conscious conscious of it the work situation like you were mentioning so true and it's like you know you work for a company and you don't feel like them maybe it's too latino maybe it's too american and you're almost recreating that sense of how much of that do we then recreate in our own lives because as much as we didn't like it it's what we know yeah i would wear so, different clothing when i first started working at this company and when I would travel to like Menlo Park or LA like I was like I can't dress the way that I dress in Miami I have to I swear <laughs> I had an entire dedicated section of my closet oh, that yeah. was like Patagonia vests here's the puffer vest <laughs> and the like the leggings and this and that and that like, is so like, funny neutral Karen, colors white Karen and like Latina listen Karen? my name is Karen at least that exactly that's exactly El más grande de todos los tiempos. Messi, Messi, gol. El torneo de fútbol más prestigioso de nuestro hemisferio. 16 países, 14 ciudades, un continente. Los ojos del mundo están en. Gol, goloso. La Copa América, comenzando el 20 de junio a las 7:6 Centro 4 Pacífico por Univisión. Marie, I'm curious about the titles of, of some of the, you know, part of the series, right? Because the first one was School Crossing, if I'm not mistaken. Why School Crossing? And, and tell me a little bit more about the series. And Because I now definitely looking deeper into every word, every title. And, you know. Oh, yeah. Very astute. Yes. So the first one is called School Crossing because... Again, for those of us that didn't grow up in metro areas with a lot of Latinos, school is the place where we first run into the, oh, I am totally different, right? And crossing is a navigational term. So the term is tied to navigation. So school crossing, here's a little visual so you guys can see. It's the story of what happens to her when she crosses into society alone, right? So she's now at school and things, you know, things happen to her that happened to all of us, but we don't talk about it. And I just wanted to put a lexicon around it. For example, her name is Maria Victoria de la Paz Abascal. She gets to school and her teacher starts calling her, is Mary Paz here? <laughs> Mary Paz. She doesn't know whether to raise up her hand or not because she's not Mary Paz. And we all laugh at that, but what does that tell the child? Tells the child, you're not good enough as you are. You need to be different to be here. You're okay, so that's identity. the first one. 
Exactly. The white Mary, right? Mm -hmm. And so then the other ones that happened to her, por ejemplo, you know, her school lunch is different. That is traumatic for a kid. She's got black beans and rice and, and everyone else has their bologna sandwich. And then the one that there's things that have, you know, the teacher, the assignment, the teacher wants everyone to draw a self-portrait. She's the only one in the class that draws a family portrait because she comes from a collective ethos. It's not because she's not smart. Mm -hmm. So she's looking at that assignment. She hasn't separated from her family yet. She's still part of a collective. So it's things like that that I want to highlight that happen all the time. And we just don't talk about it. There's no narrative around it. And it makes kids feel like outsiders, if their approach isn't accepted or if they are shunned by their classmates. And then how do we, as a country, um, you know, this is as much for us as it is for non-Hispanic Americans that need to uh, demystify what it is to live in a first-generational household. Mm -hmm. I think the, the separation of the collective is a whole other topic there because at what mm -hmm. point does that happen and how? I kid you not, Every Friday when I come over here on the drive, I call my mom because it's the only time I'm in the car by myself without my daughter and I can actually have a conversation with her. I mean, I call her every day, but usually those are like, mommy, I'm doing this. What are you doing? Whatever, whatever. But today, I don't know what we were talking about, but I said, oh, no, she was saying, oh, this helped. She did something, whatever, with my dad. And she was like, Karen, it's a strategy. It was a marriage strategy. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, oh, I go, well, guess what? It sounds a lot like the strategy that you used with me when you were like, oh, you want to go away to college? Sure, you can go away to college. Here's all the lists of things that you're going to have to pay for if you go away to college, which clearly made it impossible for me to go away to college. Yet somehow it was my decision because I couldn't afford to go away to college. And she starts laughing. She goes, uh -huh. Karen, it's a strategy. You took the decision. I go, mom, that is not a strategy. She goes, you're going to use this with your daughter. But like, even as an adult, like I still find myself in the collective, you know, and my parents, they don't like guilt me into anything. On the contrary, they're like, go live your life. Like you don't need to be here. You go do your thing. They are the ones that in the last few years have been telling me the definition of your family is your husband and your daughter. It's not us. Like, that's your family. And I'm like, but, but all of us. But all of us. So I'm like stuck uh, in the whirlwind of it. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It's nuclear, not multi-generational, right? But you don't ever really leave it, right? I mean, you, I really think all of it so much depends on your socialization. You know, where were you raised? I mean, is there, we were five kids, um, all live in different cities, all of us. None of us live in the same city. It affects everything about your life, though. I mean, I look back now and you think of, you know, what are assimilation points? in our lives where we feel for one moment that, oh my God, I'm totally American, right? <laughs> like there are assimilation points, you know, you could argue that when you learn the rules of American football, you know, for men, it's like that makes them American in that sense, right? I remember as a child going to Burger King for the first time, I was like maybe 10 because my parents didn't want to go to fast food, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember they gave me a paper crown <laughs> and I looked around and all the other kids had a paper crown And no matter how different we looked from them, we all had that crown. And I thought that was an assimilation point. When you join the armed forces, is that assimilation point when everyone is in uniform and you're, you know, there are so many things. When you marry someone with an American surname or that is Americano, 
How much of that is unconsciously an assimilation point? The first day I was in this country, so I also came when I was I came when I was ten years old, which I never heard that term one point five. Right? Is that the generation? I'm learning something new. Okay, so, mm-hmm. but yes. I remember like the one thing she refused to allow me to do was Girl Scout. Like somehow someone in my fourth grade class had mentored Girl Scouts, and she's like, "Que? Like what do you mean? Like you're gonna go yeah. and like stay somewhere and like." What no like and I was remember thinking that I cried so much I was so heartbroken because she I felt like my mom was being an obstacle for me in you know assimilating into something very American which was the Girl Scout back then right, right. but looking back it's fine it all worked out it's <laughs> fine that I'm not a Girl Scout it's great <laughs> oh, yeah, you know we were all okay. but I remember thinking we're like I, okay. I was so angry at her for being like why are you standing in the way of me being more American like I think yeah. I remember thinking like being so angry at her being like like I saw her as a, a barrier like holding me back yes oh that's so profound in so many ways right my mother is 90 and she still lives in New Orleans and I was visiting with her not too long ago she was saying you know I tried so hard raising you guys it was so much work you know five kids when my, my grandmother lived with us typical multi-generational family I said mommy did a great job and she goes where could I have done better I know that's a tough one, right? And I said, you know, I don't think it's you. I think it's the collective. I think it's the ethos. And she goes, what do you mean? I said, well, I think collective cultures, which are very tribal, success is how much is the next generation like me and mirrors me. I'm successful if my kids mirror my life experience from everything from my faith to my behaviors, to how I dress and everything else. They said what was harder for, what's hard for many immigrants is that when their kids are born here or raised here from a very early age, they have the American ethos too. And the American ethos is about going out and finding your own path. It's built on that thesis of, in that belief that, you know, self-reliant is the highest value. Yeah. So it's not about mirroring you, then I wouldn't have been successful. My self-reliant self would not have been successful if I would have just been you. I needed to find my own path. And I think that's the hardest part of being raised in an environment where you're in a society that's very independent and you're in a home that's teaching you total interdependence. I love this. I love this episode. The last thing I'll say is you mentioned earlier about these like important points in your life where you kind of like go back to your childhood or, or your life in general to kind of analyze. And I think that for sure becoming a mother was one of those points for me. And there are so many ways in which I constantly am like, which direction do I want to pull her in or, or guide her, you know, for the future life that she's going to have, you know, everything from like school placement, which... I have a very um, firsthand like experience on what happens when you go to like a normal school where you have no, you know, society connections and community connections for afterwards. Like you graduate and you're just like a sitting duck and you're like, okay, well, I don't know anyone. So now what do I do? Decisions like that are formed early on. I think the other aspect of like, like I mentioned, like what I'll allow her to do and what I won't allow her to do. And although I was born here and I had a lot of experiences outside of Miami, which has been very helpful for me. I find myself being very about the collective. And I I think you're a little bit more, you know, independent vibes I get from you. But it's like, it's so hard because I don't want to be like that either. I want to be more, "Ah, it doesn't matter, like whatever, but I can't. 
It's so hard. I, I would say on the contrary. I think everyone, like, for example, like, right, like Thanksgiving, Christmas, Mother's Day, like my mom was probably like, okay, so what are we doing? I'm like, oh, I don't know. What what are we doing? Like everything falls on me. Yeah. You know, and for them, it's just like, it just makes sense. Like, okay, you're, we raised you, you did well, like figure it out. Like you're providing for us now, no, no, you no, know, no. and it's, yeah. yeah, it's a lot. Uh-huh. Yeah. I just it, wanted to, to, it is a lot. To close it off, uh, Maria, with like, what advice do you have for moms now who are raising the next generation of bicultural bilingual children? I would advise to um, support them as they embark on their own path because we get so caught up in thinking that our path is the right path and it's not. We all have individual paths, you know? There's not this mass path that this is what this whole group is going to do, right? We all have individual paths and don't stop them in their journey, right? There's a saying, what you resist persists. And I believe that's really true, right? If you keep resisting or making someone resist what their organic path is and their divine path, if you will, why would you think that you can do that or should do that? My daughter, she wanted to go into music. My parents were like, music? You're going to pay for her to go to college to study music? I'm like, yeah, that's what she wants to do. Mom! That's her path. You know, we tend to, the collectivist culture doesn't let go, right? That was, you know, successful parenting for an American family is I put my kids through school. They're out on their own. They have their own apartment. Perfecto. I have been a successful parent. Successful parent for many Latinos, especially in metro areas where the collective is still in full play. I put my kids to school. Se quedaron en la casa hasta que se casaron. Completely different understanding of what is successful how are you successful as a parent and i think that's a that's a question we don't ask ourselves we just take for granted that it's going to be this way you know your mom not wanting you to leave for college of course collective reflect my life experience that's how i'm successful later on she was like you can go now um, <laughs> but but i also what you resist what you resist persists yeah yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. she was like please please go you can do this um this was so great thank you so much maria this was such an insightful conversation oh, thank you guys this was a lot of fun you know this is a very important topic and i think we just don't talk about it because it's like we just live every day and just assume well that's the role i'm gonna play or that's the role i play and i gotta tell you guys something if you have two minutes i want to share something with you i never thought this was just the latino story this is the story of all children mm-hmm. of immigrants right this isn't just our story and i was presenting to chrysler they were a client years ago in detroit and i was walking them through the journey of acculturation and And how, and how many generations it takes for assimilation to happen and how your understanding of who you are and what matters shifts every generation from first to second to third. And I spent a lot of time on the 1.5 and the second generation, on the bilingual bicultural, because they had asked me to demystify that cohort for them. And I'm speaking to a group of 100 men, Americano. I thought, ningún Latino. So I started by saying, I know I'm going to speak to this through the lens of the Latino, but this is the story of all children of immigrants. All right. I finished, you know, polite applause. And one guy in the back of the room, Rubio con ojo azul, probably in his 50s, raises his hand, stands up, y me dice, Maria, my name is Robert. What you have shared today has opened a window into my life that I have never looked at. I am the firstborn son of Polish immigrants, and I'm going to share something with you that you are the only one in this room that will understand. I bought my first car when I was 10 years old. 
y empezó a llorar. Oh, my God. And I did, too, because he felt that he had bought the car. Because he negotiated everything with the sales guy. He helped his dad. He did everything. And he started crying. I didn't know what to do, but I really, it touched me in such a deep way because I thought, wow, you know, this is really important. And this really touched him, right? And then cut back to, I do, when I have time, I do readings. I go to schools like I did a couple in Miami. I do them in New Orleans and New York. And I read to kids and I explain to them what it is to be bicultural. And it, I ask them questions. I was in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago talking to a class. Um, you know, the ones that are children, remember, la, la de India, la de Ethiopia. I get letters from them that say, I'm three years old. My parents are from India. I uh, started first grade last year. I am Marivi, Indian, Ethiopia. These kids that just see themselves yeah. in the isolation, yeah. right? In the feeling of loneliness. But on this class in New Orleans, she was Ruvia Ojasula. I thought she, her great, great, great grandparents built the Mayflower. Forget about coming <laughs> off the Mayflower. They built the Mayflower, right? You may be saying, She kept raising her hand and putting it down, raising it and putting it down, raising it and putting it down. And I finally said, did you have something you wanted to say? All these kids were saying where their parents were from and how they were bicultural. And she says, Miss Maria, my name is Anne. My father died when I was very young and my mother got married again. And my stepdad is from Egypt and he speaks Arabic. I am Marivi. I was like, oh my God, you know, and I, I've always thought about this story is for the inner child of adult children of immigrants like us, because it resonates so much with the adults, right? Because they didn't have anything as a child that spoke to them, which talks, tells you how powerful the media is, that if you're not seeing this as a child, that gap stays with you your whole life, mm -hmm. right? So the adult children of immigrants, and then the children, obviously, but never general market kids that are assimilating a multicultural family member. That's super unique for sure. It's another use case for this yeah, whole concept yeah. for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, I'm keeping you guys. This is great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Oh, thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Where are the books available, Maria? Just so like anyone listening is curious. Oh, to they're check on them out. Amazon. They're on Amazon. The two are out. There's a third one coming. This one is the first one was School Crossing. The second one is Weekend Ways, which is she recovers from her first day of school in this one. And the third one is called Home Room. And that one's kind coming up later this year and at homeroom she uh, tells her teacher my name is not Mary Paz and she reclaims her superpower Ooh. and so it goes from there then it's all good yeah so and there's one episode on Nuestra two more are coming out this year and they all follow the books it's a longitudinal book series it mm -hmm. starts from first grade to sixth grade and there are stories for each of the kids you know everything from when you get your period you know her sister yeah. gets her period that's a whole different the girl gets the period the gates go up in the house yeah 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 <laughs> so, yes. so many yes. so many things. for example to me like the piercing of the earrings when I had earrings and then like oh. other people didn't have earrings I was like what like, yeah we're gonna wait till I'm yes. 13 and oh, I was no, like no. Oh, no, no no we got them like me. out of the hospital I, like, I literally is, like my daughter was three months old and I was like pierce her ears I know so anyway we can <laughs> oh, talk about this today but we should have you back again Maria thank you so much oh um, I'd love to I'd love to yeah no this was a pleasure I, I love to and thank you so much honor thank the, the Marivis that we have inside 
Llega Univisión otra gran producción. Un golpe de suerte cambiará la vida de tres familias. Golpe de suerte, de lunes a viernes a las 8, por Univisión.